Hey friends, hope you are doing well and wherever you're at that your Christmas preparations are coming together well as we really have two more weeks until Christmas, which is just so surprising to me. Our tree is up, our house is decorated, uh, we're getting ready for our annual Christmas Eve party. So wherever you're at, uh, blessings on you and may your Christmas season uh, be rich and meaningful and good. I want to give a spe- uh, special shout out today to uh, just some friends and fellow Christians in the Philippines who are using my online courses as part of their training of each other and and their attempt to kind of grow as disciples. It's just so incredibly meaningful to me to be able to see pictures and even some video of of them using those those courses in their their churches and in their gatherings there and uh, just pray for God's blessing on that that it will really help equip and establish and train them so that they might walk with follow Jesus understand His Word more and more and. Really, I put those courses together because I firmly believe in the value of that material and understanding the big story of Scripture and understanding what kind of book the Bible is and how to read it well as both God's Word but ancient literature at the same time. And how do we do that? And and really, what worldview did Jesus have? And and uh, thinking through that because our life runs on the rails of our beliefs. And so beginning to think through core beliefs. And the course I don't have done yet, but it's uh, forthcoming at the beginning of the year is my basics of spiritual growth. I, I put those courses together really as a, a resource for churches, whether in the Philippines or elsewhere. So just to see the churches in the Philippines using those courses and knowing that uh, they're being uh, trained and equipped and maybe challenged is hopefully helpful to them and it's very meaningful and encouraging to me and in fact uh, if you're interested in checking out those courses you can find them on my website under the courses page johnwhitaker.net slash courses and I am going to uh, have on uh, those courses for the next two weeks just a little Christmas discount code a Christmas 25 so you'll just use a discount Christmas and then Two five, and that will give you a twenty five percent off discount on any one of those courses. So if you've been looking at those courses, thinking about doing those courses, maybe thinking, "Man, I, I wish they weren't quite so expensive." Frankly, I wish that too. I'm actually working on some of that with this app, but it's just hard to put all that together. So Christmas twenty five, Christmas two five, will give you a twenty five percent off discount for the next two weeks between now and Christmas, and. And uh, if there's a course there that you think, man, I would really like to get in on this, well, there's a way to at least get it a little bit more, uh, a little, little less uh, affordable or a little more affordable for that class. Uh, and so you might check those out at johnwhitaker.net. All right, today we are really in the final little section of the major body of the Sermon on the Mount before we move into just the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 7. And we're really in a a small little section that um, is really important, has a lot of important things and good things to say, and yet at the same time very difficult and somewhat hard to understand exactly what its function is here in the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason I say that is because virtually everybody wrestles with, well, how does it fit with what proceeds and how does it fit with what follows? And is it just sort of a standalone chunk? And if if so, that doesn't really make sense. And just to be perfectly honest with you, I've read a lot of commentaries, done a lot of research over the years on this section. And I frankly find the commentaries and a lot of the Bible scholars just unhelpful, which I feel really bad for saying, but I, I find them unhelpful because they don't seem to wrestle with the major questions that need to be wrestled with. They might acknowledge the questions, but then they just kind of blow by them and ignore them and don't really wrestle with them 
or they don't put the kind of effort into figuring it out. And so it seems like in my research and my study, most commentaries and most Bible scholars simply come to Matthew 7, 7 through 11, and just say, oh yeah, now all of a sudden we're on prayer. And they don't wrestle with how, well, how does that connect with 1 through 6, which we have looked at in our last two episodes, which is all about uh, superiority complexes and judging and having sort of that fault-finding critical spirit and looking down on people and having that sort of holier-than-thou attitude and demeanor. That's what 1 through 6 is about. Then all of a sudden you get 7 through 11, which is about asking and knocking and seeking. But then in verse 12, you come back to the way you treat people with the golden rule. However you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. And and, and that's connected to what proceeds with therefore. So somehow it seems like all of this needs to be connected. And yet, surprisingly, somewhat frustratingly, most commentaries really just say, well, you know, yeah, it seems like they should be connected. People try to figure out a connection, but eh, we don't really know how they're connected. So there you go. And that just, to me, is unhelpful. So, I want to wrestle with this text a little bit uh, as far as how it's connected, and then maybe offer some reflections on this, all right? And let's just jump in. Let me read the whole text, and then we'll just kind of maybe uh, make some general observations initially, all right? So, listen to what Jesus says. Remember, he's just said in verse 6, don't give what is holy to dogs, don't throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under the feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And in my understanding of that, that's a restating, maybe even with a little sarcasm, of what Jesus said in uh, 7.1 about judging, that when you label people as dogs and pigs, and then you try to push your pearls and your holy things on them, it usually doesn't go well. So that's what he's just said. And now all of a sudden, in verse 7, he picks up and simply says, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it'll be open to you. Then he gives the rationale for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it'll be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, daily provisions, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a snake? Um, If then you being evil, you being bad, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Then verse 12, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. All right, just a couple general observations. One is, um, it would be possible to take verses 7 and 8 as just general asking. You ask and it'll be given to you. There's nothing in those verses that specifies that we're asking God. But verse 11 makes it perfectly clear that we are asking God, or at least that's where Jesus ends. If then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And so, while it's possible that we could take 7 and, and 8 as asking in general, and maybe we could extend it that way, it does seem like we're talking about prayer in 7 uh, through 11. So, we're talking about primarily about prayer, asking God for things. 
And yet, when you look at verse 12, verse 12 goes back to how we treat other people, which is what verses 1 through 6 was about. And so, it raises the question, is verses 7 through 11 uh, about prayer? And if so, how does it fit in with how you treat people since Verse 12 ends with a therefore. Now, again, since I mentioned the commentaries and some of the Bible scholars, some of them just say, well, maybe verse 12 is just like a general summary to the entire Sermon on the Mount. Uh, For, you know, it ends with, for this is the law and the prophets. Suppose that's possible. But there's a lot of chunks in the Sermon on the Mount that aren't about how you treat people. And this therefore seems very logically connected to what, what proceeds. And so, It just seems best to take verse 12 as a concluding summary to this whole paragraph that began in chapter 7, verse 1, where the first six verses are about judging and a superiority complex. Then you have verses 7 through 11 about prayer, and then you have the conclusion, so treat people the way you want them to treat you. How does all of that fit together? And here is my attempt to try to answer that question. Um, granted, it's difficult, it's challenging. I think that's why the scholars just kind of leave it where it's at. They're not really sure, and there's some obviously some things that aren't clear there. But I would suggest this. Verses 1 through 6, the superiority complex, the judging, labeling people as dogs and pigs or whatever we label them, and then trying to push our good things, right? We know the advice they need. We know the wisdom they need. We know how they should fix their life, and we come to try to give that to them. That certainly is about treating people in a certain sort of way. And what verses 7 through 11 seems to say in the midst of that is actually praying and praying for them, and praying for ourselves, and praying for the relationship is crucial, is a crucial relationship skill. Um, and, and so I think we should understand 7 through 11 in its surrounding context. And though maybe there's things that go beyond that, I think what Jesus seems to be getting at here is that we should ask Uh, in relationship to people. We should pray for their well-being. We should pray for their eyes to be open. We should pray. If we actually genuinely care for them, instead of having a holier-than-thou attitude and labeling or judging them, why don't we just pray for them? And God, therefore, can do good things, give good gifts, bring good out of that situation. Um and bring good into their life. And that's part of the way we need to learn how to relate to people. If this is the case, then that maybe even clarifies or narrows down at least what what good things your Father in Heaven might give you if you ask of Him. The good things, therefore, in context... Uh, would be things necessary to relate to people, people who maybe you don't understand, people who have shortcomings that annoy you, people who have their own faults. Um, God will give you the good things to bring humility into your life and to grace into your life and the wisdom for how to relate to those people into your life. That might be some of the good things that Jesus has in mind. In fact, interestingly enough, 
James, in his letter in chapter 4, he actually brings this same idea of asking and, and seemingly praying as well into the context of your relationship with others. And so, I think that's what Jesus is getting at here, that uh, the kind of asking we're talking about, the kind of praying we're talking about, is praying in relationship to other people. People maybe that are even difficult. People maybe we even look at and, and can see flaws or faults in them that we wish they would adjust or change. Um, but praying that that really humbly relies on God. And in doing so, that teaches us to have a kind of humility that will affect the way we, we relate to them. Um and so our our way of dealing with people is actually at least one of the key ways we deal with people is to pray for them. So I think we could summarize what Jesus is saying this way. Jesus says, "Don't judge, don't be a pearl pusher, don't have a superiority complex, take that log out of your eye." And one of the keys to doing that is living a life of prayer where we humbly acknowledge our utter dependence on God for everything, recognizing that we have nothing that He hasn't given to us, and we're asking for His help. We're asking for His wisdom. We're asking for His grace. We're asking for His love and His kindness in our relationships with other people. So rather than condemning and blaming, let's pray for one another. Rather than criticizing and fault-finding, let's pray for one another. Rather than pushing our pearls and have wise advice on, on people, how about we pray for each other? That seems to be what's going on in this whole section of Matthew 7, 1 through 12, that all seems to be summed up in what Jesus says in verse 12, Therefore... However you want people to treat you, you treat them. That this whole section really has this relational context in mind. And that part of the way we're supposed to relate to one another is in prayer. Asking God for things. Asking God to work in their life. Asking God to actually bless them as we see earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Man, can you imagine what it would be like if in our relationships with one another... We, we created a climate of love and grace and humility and prayer where I'm not, I'm not having a superiority complex towards you or looking down on you, but I'm giving you grace and space to be your own person, to grow at your own pace, to make mistakes, to learn, and where you could be a work in progress, where expectations are, are high and Falling short isn't the end of the world, where, um, where prayer creates a spirit of humility and camaraderie, and we work together and we pray for each other. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in an environment like that, where it's completely safe to be you, and you will always be loved, and you'll be treated with dignity and grace rather than being labeled and judged and condemned and blamed, and you will be prayed for. In fact, one author commenting on this, who actually did try to wrestle with how this all fits together, said this. Listen to these words. He says, In other words, if you're bothered by some fault or failing of mine, would I not want you to refrain from hasty, self-righteous judgment and criticism? 
Wouldn't I want you to avoid giving advice with a holier-than-thou attitude? Um, See, if you have some similar flaws in, in yourself before pointing out mine to me, wouldn't I want you to do all you can to overcome your own moral deficiency and thus setting for me a good example? And wouldn't I want you to pray for God to change you and me in our relationship? Yes, yes, I would. That's how I'd want you to treat me. So that's how I should treat you. And I think that's what Jesus is doing in this section in the Sermon on the Mount, is he is inviting us to, in that spirit of humility that comes from taking the log out of our eye to recognize one of the best things we can do in our relationships with each other is to pray for each other, to ask and have it be given to us, to seek for wisdom and find it, to knock for God to work in a person's life and bring grace and and transformation and love and good things into their life, Um, to, to pray for each other. If that's how we would want people to treat us, then we should treat them the same way. Um, And at that point, Jesus is wrapped up in the whole body of the Sermon on the Mount that I said is really revolves around the theme of surpassing righteousness. Uh, That in the first chunk after stating that theme, he gives us examples of surpassing righteousness. And then since chapter 6, he's given us barriers to surpassing righteousness. This paragraph in Matthew 7, 1 through 12 is the final barrier. Eliminate, remove, get rid of that holier-than-thou attitude, that condemning, blaming, fault-finding attitude. Take the log out of your eye. Humble yourselves. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Treat others the way you want them to treat you. And if you do that, then indeed you have the opportunity for Jesus' character to actually be produced in you, for you to flesh out surpassing righteousness. All right, hope that's helpful as we wrestle with this text and think that through. Uh, My prayer is that we would be people who actually relate to one another in a spirit of humility and grace and prayer. Uh, Once again, if you're interested in any of those online courses, Christmas 2-5, Christmas 25, use that. And for the next two weeks leading up to Christmas, you can get 25% off any one of those courses. God bless you guys. And I will see you next time on The Bible in Life.